0: For well, a few moments then this morning, let us return to Philippians chapter 1. For the next few Lord's Day mornings, we would like to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And therefore this sermon here may well be considered as an introduction to the Philippians and to this book that has been written for us by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul founded the church at Philippi on a second missionary journey. The church had a great love and respect for him, and he remembers them with affection. Now, what is so special and notable about the church at Philippi is that this is the first time that the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Europe. He was on a second missionary journey, and he was seeking to go somewhere, but the Holy Spirit forbid him and he didn't know where to go, until he got a vision one night, and we call it the Macedonian vision, where he saw a man from Macedonia calling him to come over here. And he told the vision to those who were with him, and they were led to believe that the vision truly was from God. And they obeyed that vision. And that's how the gospel came to Philippi which is in the old place called Macedonia, which is in Northern Greece today. And this is where the Apostle Paul brought the gospel to Europe. And of course, we don't need much of our imagination to realize that when it came to Europe, it ultimately came to Scotland, and it came to Glasgow, and it came to Partic. All arrived in Philippi in the early 50s AD. Acts chapter 16 tells of the forming of the church and I don't really want to say too much about that because you will know we are going through the book of Acts in the evening and we will come to that when we come to Acts chapter 16. But if you want to know how the church came about you need to read Acts chapter 16. 16. Philippi was a Roman colony and a chief city in that area. There were not many Jews there. We know that because when Paul arrived in Philippi, he would normally have gone to the synagogue to preach the gospel first, but there was no synagogue. And that would tell us that there were not many Jews in Philippi, because you would need 10 men to begin a synagogue. 10 heads of household were required to start a synagogue, and therefore when he arrived in Philippi with Titus, or Silas, I should say, Silas, and we expect Timothy as well and others, he didn't find a synagogue but that didn't deter him. Instead, he went out on the Sabbath day, and he found by the riverside a place where people gathered for prayer. And it was from there that the church was formed. And the early members of the church at Philippi were Lydia, who was a a rich businesswoman, And she originally came from a place called Thyatira, which is in modern Turkey. And as he was speaking at the prayer meeting, her heart was opened. A wonderful change came about her. And here's an encouragement, friends, for us to come to the prayer meeting. Many people think, well, it's just a prayer meeting. And we can have that attitude even as Christians, it's just a prayer meeting. I can't excuse myself from a prayer meeting. Well, Lydia was at just a prayer meeting. And this time, who came but the Apostle Paul? And he preached them to them. But more importantly, what happened? God opened her heart, and she began to believe, and she began to attend to the things that the Apostle Paul was speaking about. A change came about her. Friends, what do we call this change? We call this change conversion. And friends, we want to ask ourselves as we go into this introduction about this book, do we know anything of this experience that happened to Lydia? She came to a prayer meeting. She didn't know what was going to happen. It was maybe just women that was there. It doesn't matter. But the apostle Paul came and he brought the word of God to her and her heart was opened. There was a mighty change. A divine act had taken place, something that only God can do. She was transformed and she showed it, friends, by her actions. What were her actions? Well, when her heart was opened, her home was opened. She wanted the the Apostle Paul and his colleagues to come with her. If you think I'm worthy, come into my house, share in my fellowship, because friends, Jesus Christ had come into our life. And in one sense, she surrendered herself to Christ and all that she had, and she was willing to share it with those who had brought the good news of the gospel to her. Well, she was a founding member of this church here. Lydia, this rich businesswoman. It's possibly that she might have been a widow, we cannot tell. But she was rich, a businesswoman, and her heart was changed. And as you will read Acts chapter 16, friends, you'll find there's another founding member there. A one from a different class altogether, a one from the slave class here was a slave girl. We're told in Acts chapter 16, a slave girl who was possessed with a demon. And when she saw Paul and his associates going to the place of prayer, what did she say? These men, these men are telling you the way of salvation. They're telling you about the great high God of heaven. And she said this on many occasions. And the apostle Paul was having none of it. He was fed up with her. He didn't want a demon to promoting his message and his work. And he wanted to make sure that people would realize that there's nothing in common with his work of proclaiming the gospel and the work of demons. There must be a great division. And therefore he told the demon to come out of her. And the demon came out. And she stopped her soothsaying, and because of that, her masters, who had made much money because of her soothsaying, found that they were no longer making money. She was not going around possessed with a demon and telling people nice things, telling them about the world that is to come and telling them not to worry, telling them everything's okay. That's what a soothsayer does. He tells them everything's all right, He might tell them about someone who's passed on, and he gets a message from that person, or supposedly gets a message from that person who's passed on, and they're saying, everything's all right. It's all light. It's all peace. It's all happiness. And of course, that's what the people want to hear, and they're prepared to pay for it. But... When Paul addressed her, the demon came out, and there was no more of her soothsaying. saying, no, this slave girl came to the church. This slave girl was found in the church under the preaching of of the apostle Paul. And there was another founding member. It was the jailer. Again, if you look at Acts chapter 16, what happens when the slave girl's owners recognize that She was no longer a soothsayer. They turned on the apostle and his colleagues and put them in prison. And Paul and Silas, having been beaten, were in the prison. And the jailer had been given an express command, put these individuals right in the center of the prison in the most secure place. And that's where they were after they had been beaten. And You might not know this, but the Jews had a law that they could not beat a person more than 40 stripes. But there was no law for the Romans. They could beat you as long as they liked. And Paul and Silas there with their bleeding wounds, their backs ripped open by the treatment they had received At midnight, what were they doing? Were they crying? No, they were praising the living God. They were singing psalms. God is our refuge and our strength. Possibly they were singing. And what happened? As they were singing a great earthquake and the doors were opened and the jailer came And he thought when he saw the doors open that all the prisoners had escaped. And if that had been the case, he would be a dead man. But Paul says to him when he saw that he was about to kill himself, do thyself no harm. Oh, that's a wonderful text, is it not? Do thyself no harm. Maybe I'll preach in that one day. Do thyself no harm. Do thyself no harm, unbeliever. Don't carry on in your sin. It's time to change. Do thyself no harm. You are to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and you are to come today. You are to call upon him today. Do thyself no harm. Here you are, you're carrying on in unbelief. And what are you doing? You're doing yourself harm. How so? Well, every day in sin, your heart is getting harder and harder and harder. And from a human perspective, it becomes harder and harder to be saved. Because friends, as you go on in life, as your heart hardens, sin has a terrible deadening effect upon you. Because once you were in the house of God, and once you heard the same things that I'm talking about today, and your conscience was pricked, but now what's happening? Your conscience is somewhat dead. It's not bothering you. You're saying to yourself, well, I've got another day, I've got another year, I've got another decade. You don't know that. Do thyself no harm. That's what the apostle said to this man who was about to kill himself. And friends, that's what you're doing when you reject the Lord Jesus Christ. You are actually calling upon a death sentence upon yourself. Well, he said, do thyself no harm. And when the man heard this, he recognized that the prisoners had not escaped. And he ran in, fell before them. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And Paul expounded the gospel to him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved and thy house. And he was saved he was baptized. And he showed it too, not just by his profession, but his lifestyle. Because friends, what happened? You'll read it in Acts chapter 16. He went and he attended to the wounds of Paul and Silas, and he provided for them. He was hospitable towards them. His house was also opened up to Paul and Silas, as Lydia's was. Well, why am I laboring on this? I'm laboring on this, friends, because here were three members of the original church at Philippi. Lydia, a classy individual, a businesswoman, a rich businesswoman who was able to take people into her home. Therefore, she was not a poor individual. Who 's the other member? A slave girl? you can 't get lower than a slave girl. a slave a man, a, ma- a man slave would be low, but a woman slave, a girl, no rights, no money, no prospects, a down and out. She was part of the church also. And what about the, the Philippine jailer? What about him? Well, he probably was a former soldier, but he would be really part of the working class, manual labor. What are we trying to say? We are trying to say, friends, that people who come from different backgrounds, who are completely different in their outlook, when they come to the Lord Jesus Christ, and when they are saved, they are one in Christ. and that's what a church should be. A church should contain all of these kind of individuals, because the gospel is not just for the rich. It's not just for the poor. It's not just for the hardworking. It's not just for the middle class. It's not just for women or, or men, or for, well, let's use these words, black or white. No, it's for every single one of us. Why? Because we all need the Lord Jesus Christ, every single one of us. We're all dead in trespasses and sins by nature, and we all need this glorious savior. Well, that's the formation of the church, and that's the church which grew, because if you look at chapter 16 of Acts again, that when Paul came out of prison, he went to the house of Lydia, and he met the brethren. There was other people. The church grew, and the church, loved the Apostle Paul. And this is what comes out in this letter. We'll see it as we go through it, we trust. Now that happened around AD 52 or 53, we can't be exactly sure, but around that period of time, AD 52, this letter was written to the Philippians around AD 62, about 10 years after the formation of the church. And the apostle Paul by this time was in prison. He was in prison, we do believe, in Rome. And from Rome, he wrote four of the letters that we find in the Bible. They're called the prison epistles. He wrote Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians and Philemon from prison. There he was chained. There he was under custody. There he was as a man who was not free. Yet the gospel, as he says in the chapter, was not bound. And God's work was going on even when he wasn't preaching or officially preaching from a pulpit or such. Nevertheless, the gospel was going on. It was making progress. And we are benefiting from it today because we're going to be studying this wonderful, glorious letter that the apostle wrote to the church that he loved, called the Philippians. Now, this letter, which was written 10 years after the formation of the church, was delivered to the, the Philippian church by one called Epaphroditus and we'll come across him as we go through this letter. Epaphroditus was a member of this church, and he was sent by the church to give the apostle Paul a financial gift. They had done this on other occasions, and they were concerned about the apostle. They no doubt heard he was in prison, and they wanted to know about his welfare and how he was doing, And they took this opportunity to send Epaphroditus with a financial gift to the apostle and to find out how he was faring. And uh, it would have taken Epaphroditus maybe a month to get from Philippi to Rome. It would be around an 800 mile journey. So he would have set off A month later, he would have arrived in Rome and found out where the apostle Paul was. And we do believe that he spent around two months with the apostle before the apostle sent him back to the church in Philippi with this letter. And it was a letter of thanksgiving. The apostle was acknowledging the goodness of the congregations in Philippi in giving him this gift. But he really, Epaphroditus was really coming back to the Philippian church earlier than expected. Why? Well, because it would take a month to get there, a month to get back, and he'd only been two months with the Apostle Paul. But during that two months that he was with the Apostle Paul, he became sick. And the sickness was serious so that he nearly died. And therefore, the apostle Paul didn't want to keep him any longer because the Philippian church would be somewhat concerned about their brother, about the member, about Epaphroditus. And therefore, the letter would tell them that they are to welcome Epaphroditus. There was no problem with him. Himself and Paul didn't fall out or anything like that. That was not the reason why he came back early. The reason was that he had been sick, but he had recovered. And Paul wanted the church not to panic over him as he would return earlier than expected. Well, for our time then, I want to highlight three things that we can find from this epistle. Three things that we will notice as we go through the epistle. Three things that really sum up uh, this book. And if after we have gone through this book, if we can remind ourselves of these three things, we will truly have benefited from our study of this book. What does this book teach us? Well, first of all, It teaches us the secret of true happiness. The secret of true happiness. Happiness is something that every one of you want. Happiness is something that everyone wants. The people who never come to the house of God, who never think about Him, who never call upon Him, yet they are the same as ourselves they want to know true happiness. It would not be wrong to say that people are are searching for true and lasting happiness. Why is it that many people went out last night and they went to bars and clubs and various other kind of entertainments? Why? They wanted to know happiness. Why is it that many people are pursuing the things of this world, things in themselves which are lawful and legitimate, but things that they engross themselves entirely in. We could think about work, for instance. How many people are slaves to their work? They work night and day, and they hope to accumulate great amounts of material wealth. Other people are seeking to get their careers in order, and. They are pursuing that with a a great desire and goal ahead of them. Ultimately, they all want happiness. They all want peace. They all want joy. They all want contentment. And the last place that they would look for it is, if we can use this word, in religion or in Christianity, but friends, this is where you are to find true happiness. This is where you are to find true fulfillment in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is where you are to find it, and this book will tell you about it. We might go as to far as to say, the whole book of God will tell you about it, but here in these four chapters, we will be confronted with the secret of true happiness. Oh, friends, do you want to know true happiness? Yes, the things of this world can give us happiness. For how long? A few moments, an hour or two, a day or two. But what happens? We're confronted with our problems. We're confronted with the cares of this world. We are confronted with our mortality. We recognize that we're going to stand before God one day. We're going to give account before a great and a holy God, a God who will not excuse the sinner. And these things terrify us. But, friends, in the gospel, in the Lord Jesus Christ, we find all these things are taken care of. And we find the secret of true happiness. How often do the people in this world who make others happy are themselves miserable? You look at the life of many comedians, many comedians who have been successful, who have held audiences in, in laughter and who have had large TV audiences Having people laugh, making them happy for a period of time. But you go to these individuals, you look at their lives, very few of them are really happy. Oh, they can make others happy, but they cannot make themselves happy. Well, this book will tell us, this short letter from the Apostle Paul, will show us the secret of true happiness. Secondly, the book will show us the man who learned the secret. The man who learned the secret is the Apostle Paul himself. He is the most exercised Christian that ever lived. And he found it. And it's quite remarkable that he should have, because when he wrote this letter here, as we've said, he was in prison and it wasn't a holiday camp, no flat screen televisions, no gym, no lunch provided for him. None of the things that we find common today in our prisons. His prison will probably be rat infested, a damp hole of a place. Very little ventilation, very little light, very little to make anyone happy. And here he was, the great apostle, the one who had seen the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who had wonderful, glorious spiritual experiences that we know nothing about. Here was the one who had been chosen to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, And the one who had sought to fulfill that commission with all zeal and all gusto, yet he found himself silenced in some sense in prison. And it was possible, although he did not think so, but it was possible that when his trial would come to court, he might be found guilty and he could easily be put to death. That could easily have happened. So his prospects were not great. But he found, friends, that he looked above and beyond his circumstances. And this is one of the lessons we shall learn as we go through the book of Philippians, not to be spellbound by our circumstances, not to be hampered or to be fettered with our circumstances. Here was someone we would say was under a dark and a sore providence. Here was someone who was active in the ministry, a man of action, a man who liked to get out and about and to open his mouth and to declare the gospel to all wherever he could get an audience. And here he was confined into a damp, dreary prison, but he wasn't depressed. He wasn't despondent. He didn't despair. He had found the secret of true happiness. And he wasn't going to be ruled or he wasn't going to be governed by his circumstances. That's a lesson we have to learn, all of us. And that's a lesson that's contrary to flesh and blood. That's a lesson that only the Christian can learn not to look at the outward circumstances. So what was the secret then of his joy? Well, because as someone has said, at least 19 times in these four chapters, Paul mentions joy, rejoicing, or gladness. We'll find it, joy, rejoicing, or gladness. 19 times through these short chapters, he mentions that these words. But there was another word that's also quite significant in this book. It's the word mind. The mind. Paul used the mind, the word mind, ten times, and also used the word think five times, and he uses the word remember. And all of these words are are associated with our mind mind, think, remember. What is he talking about? Well, he has joy because his mind is fixed and focused upon things that really matter. It's not just simply mind over matter, no. But he is mindful of the glorious privileges that are his. He is mindful of the great reward that is before him. He is mindful of eternal realities. This is why he was so filled with joy. This is why this is such a happy epistle. In other words, for Paul and for the Christian, joy is found in the way the believer thinks. It's about his attitudes. And how do we face life? How do we face difficulties? How do we face disappointments? We have to look at them in the light of eternity. Proverbs tells us in Proverbs chapter 23, verse seven, for as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so will be your life. So it will be the way that you conduct yourself. As you think in your heart. And therefore, we need right thinking. We need to be, have thoughts that are consistent with the word of God. We must let the word of God direct our thinking. That's what happened to the apostle Paul. And briefly and thirdly, he found Christ who taught him these things. It was Christ who taught him the secret of true happiness. This one found it. He didn't find it by accident, he didn't find it by himself. Christ found him. And Christ revealed to him what true happiness is all about. It's Christ that taught him. He cannot claim authorship for this himself. It's something that Christ did. And friends, this must be our motto. This must be our goal. That Christ would teach us these things. That he would rise us up above this world and above the thinking of this world and that we might be conditioned by his word, by this great and glorious person, the one who taught him the secret of true happiness. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us. Let us pray.